Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. The markets are getting hammered. Hammered? They're getting hammered. Hammered. So the question is, did you take action? Did you, the listener, did you get defensive? Hmm. If not, why not? I mean, if you've been paying attention to what we've been doing and following our research, you would have gotten very defensive in increments along the way over the past couple of weeks. I'll let Don get more definitive on those dates in a minute. But this market is extremely dangerous. And we're going to go into that. I We had a whole lot of topics today, but... I think the market's going to take kind of front and center stage. So we're going to kind of blow through some of these topics. And oh, by the way, be wary of the annuity hawks coming out. I've seen numerous articles in the last week uh, and, you know, why annuities are the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, you hear all of, you get most of the upside with none of the downside. You can't lose. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the problem is you don't get most of the upside. You don't even get part of the you get a little sliver of the upside yeah. and we'll talk about that and but, but they're constructed to only pay you about three four percent a year i don't care that they show you the illustration making eight percent uh, by the way hint that's the maximum they can do uh, allow you to do 8%? but if they got caps at 10 or 12 and then you got some negative years or low years how do you get eight when you average it, it, the whole thing is just a big lie but <laughs> But, but, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. And then Michael Ramos is going to tell us why averaging down is a sucker play. Don't average down regardless what your advisor tells you. There is a better way to do that. Don't just assume it's a bottom or, or near the bottom. You have no idea how far the bottom is. And then I'm going to talk about, I ran across this article about the four investing rules that you should abandon. Okay. <laughs> and and really what that means is, oh, Rudd, those aren't working anymore. Those are the rules of thumb that lazy advisors have been promulgating and, and, and regurgitating for the last 20, 30 years, the advisor brotherhood. Yeah. Um, um, and they're not working now. So now they're saying, yeah, the, you know, it's old school. Don't worry about it. Sure. You don't need to use those anymore. Um, and we'll talk about that. But first, we got to give the disclaimer, folks. This uh, podcast, Your Money Podcast, is about um, research and entertainment. It's about research for you to, to, to think about and to, to jog your brain, to make you think outside the box. It's not to be construed as individual investment advice. If you want individual investment advice, contact your own advisor. Hopefully he's not or she is not like 
one of those that I've just been alluding to, and hopefully they are a fiduciary. Or if not, you can reach out to Revere and we'll give you a complimentary portfolio review. We'll talk about that. And okay, we're out of the way, out of the disclaimer. And then one, a couple last things is I ran across this 401k article. This guy wrote this article saying, man, my 401k is down over 20%. I'm getting hit. And I kept telling my advisor the last three, you know, at the beginning of the year, I'm nervous. I'm worried. What should I do? And he just said, just stay the course. Just it'll market oh, always right. comes back. Hold. You've heard it. And he said, do I need a new advisor? So we'll talk about that. And then time permitting, we're going to talk about the annuitization of retirement plans because that's the big push. You need lifetime income. That's right. And, and just give us your whole big lump sum and you, you don't have it anymore. And we'll give you a lifetime income. And if you have high inflation and it persists, then sure. that, that annuity payment will feel like a house payment for the first couple of years. And then it feels like a, a dinner at R- Ruth Chris. And finally, it's like lunch at McDonald's. Yeah, wall-to-wall um, show this week. Plus, you gave away all the, all the, all the, uh, the principles so you don't have anymore. Well, but yeah, but, but anyway. All right. So let's get right into it. So, so I've seen all these articles coming out about the annuities because people are scared. They're worried they lost money. And so that, that tagline, uh, you get most of the upside, but none of the downside mm-hmm. is starting to resonate with people and people are scared, especially if they're about to get to retirement. And what they're talking about, folks, they're talking about indexed annuities. Mm. Okay. I'll tell you what, when they first came out, they, 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 I got sold on them. I thought they were great. It was like 2000, 2001. Well, and I was one of the biggest, produ- I, I sold more, I sold a ton of them in the first year. And they had this sharing ratio where you got 90% of the S&P gains. Mm-hmm. They did a little differently, not the cap, but you get 90% of the gains. But in the little fine print, they said, but we can lower it down to like 40% or some really low bar. And I said, well, why would, and it was point to point for one year. I said, why would people do this? Why would people sign this thing? Oh, we'd never do that. We'd, ne- you know, don't worry about it. And so I said, all right. So I put a couple of clients in it. Very first year after the first anniversary year, took it down all the way to the 40%, the, the minimum, and my clients were pissed. Yeah. And, and so I said, never again. So I've never done it again. I get people all the time that are upset because what they're, the illustration, they're, whenever you hear the word illustration, replace it with fantasy. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not real. Right. It's not real. Right. But it looks real because they make, like, right. li- they put it in a spreadsheet and it, they put numbers in there. And people, when they see numbers, they feel like that's factual. That's, boy, you've done a lot of data, data mining. Sure. It's really data garbage. Right. And anyway, so the way they're constructed is they either have point to point with like, uh, like one year from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, but you got a cap at 12% or 10%. So if the S&P goes up 25, you only get 10. Okay. Oh. But it can't go down. If it's negative 10, you're still at zero. You just don't get any credit that year. Okay. Okay. So that w- so if you only get 10 on the upside, right? Yes. And then you get 0 on the downside. And then you'll have a couple years at maybe 6 or 7% single digit. Sure. When you average all those together, what do you get? Pretty low number. A low single digit You're return. A low number. The other thing they do is we'll give you the participation rate. We're not going to give you 80% of what the S&P does. We're going to give you 100%, but we're going to do it monthly averaging. Mm. Well, Don's a math guy. He understands that what that means is you're averaging it. It's like cutting the return in half. Yes. You're, you're, you're watering it down. And so they're mathematically designed. And look, I'm very good in math. 
And when I read these things, they're like, you know, the, the actual contract, it's about 30 pages, 40 pages long. And I mean, you really got to be like a PhD in math to break it down and look at it. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult to discern, but they really put lipstick on that pig and make it look really nice. And so <laughs> I just want you to be careful if you really believe that that works. Uh, and, and by the way, they're actually some, God, I'm going to cringe. I can't believe I'm saying this. Oh, no. There are actually a few annuities out there that are, are, are not that bad. I mean, I still don't like them, but, but, but they're, they're commission-free. There are no big surrender penalties. You don't hear about them because no advisors, because insurance salesmen don't make the big commission. Yeah. If they've got a big surrender penalty, like eight years, seven years, six years, then that means the guy got paid a big commission. Mm-hmm. So he sells it to you, and then he's going to look for the next patsy. You're done. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you get the Christmas card once a year, but that's it. (laughs) And so, so, but they do have variable annuities where you can do all kinds of things, long, short, you can short the market, you can go long the market, you can do all these things that you, you, you want and you can get a guarantee of premium repayment. So whatever money you put into it originally, you can get that back. Right. Right. So you've got to you at least get your money back. Mm-hmm. But then you don't have. And by the way, it's only like 35, 40 basis points, 0.4 percent. And these big commission annuities, they really are anywhere from two to four percent ongoing internal fee costs. So they're very expensive. So anyway, that's one thing that you really got to be worried about. OK. All right. Got that out of the way. Are there any questions you guys want to make any comments? Don, I know you love annuities. Mm. Love annuities. <laughs> love annuities. <laughs> All right. Uh, Michael's now, Dan, we, we, we did we did convert uh, a client. You did a, an annuity conversion. Can you explain that? So if somebody is stuck in a bad annuity, well, they can yeah. come with us and uh, not have to pay the surrender or exit fee or whatever. Yeah, you, you can do what's called. You, you can do a like kind of change. I always get these confused. Is it 1031 is real estate and 1035 is annuity or is it the other way around? Anyway, it's either a 1031 or 1035 exchange. I think it's. Uh, 1031. Anyway, you and do... who just got finished saying he's really good with numbers. Uh, yeah, yeah. He did say I'm, that. I'm terrible with words, though. Right. <laughs> That's one or the other. Six in one hand. Doesn't anyway, other. so you could do a like kind of exchange. And, and the reason they didn't want to do it, they th- this couple came to me and they've had this annuity for decades and they got sold a long time ago. But the guy was making a lot of money and the, the couple put a lot of money in there. Sure. So they had lots. Of, but over time, over 20 years, it had grown and it had some decent capital gains and they didn't want to do that. They're at the tail end. You know, they're, they're seniors, they're retired, they have other assets and basically they, you know, they're looking for a step up basis and they just, they, they didn't want to pay the tax. So we can do a like kind exchange and, and, and transfer them into this better annuity with lower cost. And you can go, you could either go single long, double long on the market. You can go double short on the market. Mm. You can move to cash. You've got professional managers in there. I mean, you, you can do all, it's got over 300 choices. And so, so you can act, we can actively manage it. Yeah. Now, is it as good as Don's protection portfolio? No, but you know, if they don't want to take the money out, but they're, they're very happy. So um, I wouldn't take outside money and put it in there. But, and by the way, you can put the money in and take the money out the next day if you're not happy, because guess what? There's no surrender penalty. Right. So anyway. All right. Now let's move on to the four rules that the advisors are being told to abandon because they're not working anymore. So so the first one is a 30% housing rule means 
that you really should spend more, no more than 30% on rent or a mortgage. So of your income, that that should be your max. Well, with real estate prices as high as they are, yeah, most and re, people's mortgages easily 60 percent of their take home. My wife and I are looking to buy. We're running into this, yeah, like this older older rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 rent is is more, especially if you're younger. Sure. So is. they're saying, you know, throw that out because of the situation now. Okay. Second thing, the second rule is the fifty thirty twenty. Fifty percent is must have. You, like you must have food. You must have clothes or they'll, they'll arrest you. Can't go around streaking. Right. And you must have housing uh-huh. unless you want to be homeless under a bridge. So the 50% goes to must have. The 20, 30% is the wants, like, you know, dispose the discretionary. Sure. And then 20% needs to go in savings. The only part I agree with is a 20% for savings. Well, what do you always say? Gas and food, right? That's your thing? You got you to gotta have a car to get around? And you got you gotta, it. Well, yeah, yeah. that's the CPI. Now, those are the inflation numbers that they try to take out mm. to lie to you to say inflation is not that bad. Yeah, yeah. So, and by the way, gas is actually, gas and energy has actually been coming off and selling off. Mm. And so they've been, they were hoping that the inflation numbers would really good, look good so they could go down how good. How, how good the plan is to kill inflation. The problem is food has been going up so much, yes. it's offset gas. Milk and eggs. So you're right. Yeah, you're right, robbing <laughs> Peter to pay Paul, and you can't drink gas. No. So it's coming well, down in price. You can't you can. drink. So yeah. anyway, so, but the third rule is the rule I really want to focus on. And, and I'm going to go to the fourth rule first the, four, the 4% withdrawal rule. So Don has heard this all the time. Michael may have heard this or not. Uh, but, but, but the old rule of thumb was once you start taking your retirement funds out, your big nest egg at the pot of gold at the end of the, when you go in your golden years, right? You take out 4% okay. a year and you shouldn't run out of money, right? Yes. Well, now they're going, you know, with the big market, bear market and this market sell-off, people are down, you know, 4% might be a little too much. You may run out of money. Also, this 4% rule was done in the seventies when everybody smoked and drank. And they retired at 65 and they were dead by 72 or 75 or whatever. Well, now everybody's healthier and uh, living longer. Mm -hmm. So the 4% is kind of coming under pressure. Here's a clue. Make more money or don't lose as much in a down market and you won't have to worry about that as much. Mm -hmm. But now they're saying instead of the 4% rule, we can make it kind of a variable, a floating rate, if you will. So in good years, you can kind of take out a little bit more. And in bad years, you take out much less, like two and a half percent. And it'll average. To and, 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 yeah. and, and so you don't cannibalize the principal. You can kind of keep the principal intact. Okay. Here's the problem I have with that. I still have to eat. <laughs> right. So if I go, yeah. well, I'm only going to take out two and a half percent. Son, you're not really that hungry, right? Or That's my right. wife, you're not, you, don't, you don't need that health care. You know, we, yeah. don't, we, can, we can go without. Yeah. I mean, I can go without that 30% wants. Right. But I need the, the, the must-haves. Sure. And so if I can't make the must-haves with a 2.5%, that's no bueno. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but, but here's the rule number three is that 60-40 balanced portfolio. Okay. So they've always said for decades, you know, especially as you get older, 40s and 50s and heading into retirement, you need a balanced portfolio. So you get the growth you need, the 60% in stocks, and sure. you need 40% in bonds so you get some income and some Single-digit growth increase, but it smooths out the equity volatility. Okay. Here's the problem with that. There are time periods. We're in one right now. We were in one in the 70s when bonds and stocks both get slaughtered. Yes. 
Okay, so bonds are down like 16, 17, 18 percent right now. They're acting like stocks. Mm -hmm. So the whole ship's going down. Right. And so sometimes you need to get defensive or cash or maybe even short the market. So it all goes. to, And again, remember, all this advice I'm telling you that I'm regurgitating, that I'm reading from these financial magazines. Yeah. Which they're all assuming that we, we base it on your age and your station in life. And everybody that looks like you at your age, your risk tolerance level gets a number 12 pie chart if yep. they're moderately aggressive. Right. And if they're wimpy, they get a number eight pie chart. And if they're in the middle, they get a number 10 pie chart. And everybody gets the same lemming portfolio that when it goes off the cliff, you go off with it. Rather than actually doing some research and study and becoming a market tactician and being able to adjust and get defensive when it's ugly. Mm-hmm and lose less, go down less, keep most of your principal intact. And then when everything's, when all the stars are lining up and Jupiter is in front of Mars, you can go ahead and invest and you'll be okay. That's a better way to do it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So that was a a lot. That was a, and I went through that very quickly because I wanted to go through that. And just real quick, because I did do that pretty good. The... There's a big, there was an article I read that was, a, it was called Consolidation or Innovation in the IRA, Registered Investment Advisor, IRIA industry. Okay. And they're saying, you know, there's, there's like 12 or 15 big mega RIAs that are trying to swallow everybody up. I get a call every week and Don gets in two emails a week. Hey, do you guys want to sell or do you guys want to merge? Wow. The problem is. They're trying to merge with these smaller RIAs for economies of scale that are doing these pie charts are us approach, mm-hmm. right? Where it's all the same and it's easily uh, reclaimable. How, how do you say that? Reclamable? Um, Re- reclaimable? Re- no, no, no. You can, you can repeat it. You can clone it. Replicable. Replicable. I could, I could not pronounce replicable. Replicable. Yes. Rep. Rep. Replicable. Replicable. Say that four times to, fast. <laughs> able to be replicated. There you go. That's that's and and that's what they want. And they can't replicate what we're doing. It's very very difficult. And so, number one, they wouldn't even be interested. Number two, half our clients would leave right away because they say, "Well, I don't have a sell discipline anymore. You're not protecting my downside. You're putting me in a damn pie chart. No, thank you." Yes. Okay, but the thing that really caught my eye, and and, and a couple of these guys said, "Well." couple of these quote experts that advise, they mm-hmm. actually have advisors to the register, the RIAs that help them uh, um, tell you how to talk to the client or the prospect, how to close, how to bring in new business and how, and it's all about marketing and panache. It's not about actually how to service the client. So in this article, it, basically they were saying they don't think that it's going to be completely consolidated because there's innovation and there's, you know, firms doing different stuff that innovate. And so they don't think it's going to happen too much. Here's the, and that's what we do. We're very much more innovative, but nowhere in the article did once did they talk about what's best for the client. Mm. It's all about marketing to, 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 to us and tell us what to tell you. So you'll become a client. Yeah. And we do it very differently here. We actually give you what is happening in the market without our opinion? This is, this is what is, this is what it is. And what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So Don does a daily market uh, insight video every night that the market is open, and it it and it we go over the short term, mid term, and long term uh, market conditions, and then we actually go over what we're doing in our own portfolio. So I think that we're the most transparent uh, RIA that I know of. I don't know of another one that's more transparent. I mean, we even talked about the trades we did that day, sure. which is you know a lot of them. Have the seek. It's like the Wizard of Oz. It's behind the cloak and you know, behind the big curtain. You can't even find out. Right. Okay. All right. So that's enough of that. We've got all the house cleaning out of the way. Yes. All the kind of interesting hey. articles. Most of them were BS. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that is enough of that, Dan. I got to add a little. Slant oh, on sorry. That. I didn't Uh-oh. mean to cut you off. Go. Yeah. Pension pension funds are getting absolutely destroyed by the big bond allocation that they have in their portfolios that it's supposed to. Uh, protect them from the downside. Yep. This is the 60-40. You, you kind of mentioned it, the death of the 60-40. The S&P, as of last night, was down 18%. A 60-40 is down 17%. They were counting on their models that showed that that 40% bond allocation should be up 2 to 3% each year to totally protect them from this near 20% drawdown that they're having in 60-40, but it absolutely is not protecting them. Uh, it's all that's also going to hit a bunch of advisors that were looking at succession plans. You talked about all these <laughs> uh, emails that we get all the time for these advisors, and there really have been a lot more calls. I think there's some nervous advisors that are wanting to head into the sunset. They thought they were going to uh, merge, and if this bear market gets serious legs to the downside, like some of the serious ones that we show where the S&P sells off 50%, these advisors' assets are going to be 50% less than when they started, and that means they're going to get 50% less for the company that they thought they were going to sell. <laughs> big issue, big issue on the horizon. Yep. These pension funds, this is the first year that they're experiencing this. There are some supposedly very smart people on Twitter that had white papers that won awards that lead to uh model your portfolio and do your sector rotation after this that are absolutely getting pummeled this year because the bond portion of this protection is not doing its job because we're in a rising interest rate environment. First of all, how any smart person thought that going into bonds when we knew that anybody that knows really anything about financing, when your interest rates are at zero, there's only one place for them to go and that's up. Obviously, they didn't count on inflation not being transitory, but <laughs> we can't create a we can't create a model that uh, that counts on a, a, a portion of that model doing something just because it always did it in the past. That's how long term capital management blew up in 1998. Um, oh, we've never seen this before. This shouldn't happen. Shouldn't shouldn't happen, huh? Well, it is happening, and now what are you going to do about it? And that's it. Really gets down to always having stops and sticking to them. And that's fundamentally at the basis of our risk management plan is we can be wrong every day. We come in, Paul Tudor Jones, famous investor, has famously said, I come into every day assuming every position that I own is wrong. And the position has to prove itself for being right. And that's pretty much how we run our shop too. Um, when risk management is is at the forefront of what you do, and you protect the downside, the upside will take care of itself as the market trends higher because you're 
you're capitalizing from a higher, a much higher uh, asset base and much higher percent of your capital was preserved than if you hit these big drawdowns. And I, I still can't believe these high chart advisors that I get in arguments with on Twitter. And really, I realize I'm wasting my time. The, <laughs> the, the reason I do it, really, the more the reason that I do it is to see people that put these people up on a pedestal to really have them look at the numbers and, and for them to say that they're okay with their clients losing 50% as they approach retirement, as I pointed out that they have in the past, and then they fall back on, oh, well, we would have we would have went to a higher bond allocation uh, as you approach retirement. Oh, really? How's that working for you this year? How's your bond allocation that's supposed to save your portfolio from drawdowns? How's that working this year? It's not. It's absolutely not, and there's a big reckoning uh, on the way. It's it's happened, you know. You can hide it a little bit when you're down 20%. You can't hide it when you're down 50%. Yeah, well, so... People are... It's it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt pension funds. It's going to hurt these endowments that, that, that colleges have. It's going to hurt foundations that invest. And you, you're, you're going to see what you had in 2007, 2008 if we don't get inflation under control. And that's where you, you're forced to sell. And then all assets, uh, all asset classes, the correlation comes to one because when you have to sell, it's forced selling and you get what you what somebody else will pay for it at that time. We're selling when we want to, not when we have to. They're going to be selling when they have to. Yeah, well, so you know who came up with all those um, um, famous studies, even modern portfolio theory, no, who? which there's holes all in it, but that 60-40 smooth out of it. It's all these PhDs from Harvard and Yale. They're, sure. they're damn geniuses. That's why they're, te- you know, you're the old cliche, those who can't teach. <laughs> but, <laughs> but seriously, it's, 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 it's sad. Right. And inflation is kryptonite to bonds. Inflation is worse for bonds than rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can use convexity and duration to calculate the decline in bond prices for every 100 basis point or 1% move in in interest rates, but inflation is a trickier thing. That's hard to figure out the in advance, the magnitude on the bond move. And that's why we always say price is truth. If you're monitoring price on an ongoing basis, you can get out early. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. So it's very crucial to keep your losses small and let your winners run. And, and sometimes you'll, you'll just be covered up and, and, and defensive mm-hmm. because because compounding works both ways. And, and Don talks about this all the time. You know, if you lose 10%, you only need 11.1 to get back even. You lose 25, you need 37.5% to get back even. You lose 50%, man, you're really, you really got to make some juice. You got to mm-hmm. make 100% to get back even. If you lose 75%, well, you might as well throw in the towel and give up. But you got to get 300% to get back even. So uh, these illustrations, these fantasies they show you, it's it's great on the way up, the compounding on the way. And by the way, it'll never happen where they say, well, you make 8% every year, every, you know, every, gone going. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to make a difference. All right. So I think we've kind of, and we're going to revisit, we'll kind of go over this a little bit, um, um, a little bit later when Don actually does a portfolio review. I will say this. So when I mentioned modern portfolio theory, Modern portfolio theory, the reason I said it's fuzzy math is because modern portfolio theory assumes that returns are under the bell curve, the normal standard distribution. Yes. Okay. In data points. 
So you got the mean down the middle, you got the hump, you all remember in high school or college, and you got about 50% of the returns on the right side, or whatever it is, viruses, bacteria, or returns in our case, and about half on the left side. Guess what? They're not normally distributed. They do not fall under the bell curve. And so I don't want to get too deep into it, but the bottom line, the number one main assumption it says returns are not correlated. Anytime, any any uh, data group that is supposed to fall under the bell curve, yeah. the number one most important assumption is that the data points are not correlated with each other over time. So if last year's return is positive, then it's just a 50-50 coin toss if this year's return is positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You got up, 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 down, 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 up, up. But guess what, you Harvard PhD wants? It's called the business cycle. So if last year's return is green, there's way more than a 50-50 probability that it that it's either green or red. The whole point is the, 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 that that bell curve is actually skewed to the right. It's like a wave at the beach. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what's called leptokurtosis, but it's also like a giant stepped on it and squashed it so you have fatter tails. You have more tail risk than what they're measuring for by variance or standard deviation. Yes. In plain English, they're measuring for the 100-year flood, but it's coming every five, six, seven, eight years. Mm. So they're way underestimating the risk, and they're taking three steps forward and two steps back. We're trying to take three steps forward and one step back. It's yes. just it's a little easier ride, and so you have less drawdowns. Now, the way that our the way that our, the our management works is obviously on the very bottom when the market starts starts to rally off a bottom because you don't know what's the bottom in hindsight, no. right? I mean, only in hindsight do you know it's the bottom. Going forward, you don't know it's the bottom. So we're going to have a cash drag because we missed out on a big chunk of that decline. So we're going to have a cash drag for a, a week or two, a couple weeks, while we're trying to get back in. So we will always underperform on the bottom. But guess what? You're still beating the market by 15% on the way down, so you've got a buffer there. Mm-hmm. So even matching the S&P, the ride's a lot smoother. It doesn't scare you out. And you don't have a big, massive drawdown right when you're retiring, which paralyzes you with fear. Yes. Okay? All right. Folks, if you want to learn more about that, you can reach out to any of us. You can email me, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, or michael at revereasset.com, and we'll, we'll be happy to uh, share our data or talk to you any more about this. Um, all right. So let's talk to Michael. Let's talk about why averaging down is a, another uh, thing that the uh, traditional advisor brotherhood uh, promulgates and pushes and tells you to do, but it's not a good idea. Yeah, so that, that, that was a great uh, segment, Dan. Um, I mean, even, even sitting here listening, I, I learned a lot. And um, I mean, it reinforces these things we already know, but it's important for people to hear it uh, because a lot of people don't know it, it can save them a lot of trouble. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was really great. Um, and tying into it, um, I, I think this is a big problem and it's important to address now um, in this current market environment because I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of people that are actually um, uh, talking about this and doing this. And um, it's, it's worrisome and it's something that, that um, people need to, to understand. And it's about averaging down and buying adding more, adding good money, throwing good money after bad money. And it's, it's one of the worst things you can do. And um, there's, there's data and there's studies and you can pull up charts and look at them of how that just gets you into trouble. 
and in the long term, um, you're you're going to suffer some serious losses. Um, so this is this is a quote from Mark Minervini. I believe he's the one who did the study. And um, if you don't know, Mark Minervini is is a legendary trader, one of the most successful traders of um, the current um, time period. And um, he says that once a secular market leader, and a secular market is a uh, a market that's driven for many years. So like currently the environment up until recently was low interest rates, quantitative easing, um, strong corporate earnings, high growth, this Goldilocks period that led to a uh, current secular bull market, which is now. And it, well, once a secular market leader, the leading stocks in that market put in a major top, there's a 50% chance that that stock will decline by 80% and an 80% chance that it will decline by 50%. And it's called the 50-80 rule. And the average decline of a market leader is 70%, and many go down 90% or more and never come back. And um, the issue there is that if you're buying a leader, it's a good stock, you, you, you've made money on it, and as it starts declining, you, you average down and buy more, well, there's a there's a 50% chance that, that you're gonna lose 80% of that investment. and there's a there's a ninety percent chance, or, or really ninety percent of them uh, don't come back. So it, it's very likely that that you'll end up losing all your money and and never never come back to it and never see it again. And um, something to to live by and and a good quote is you, you never you never want to buy the bottom or sell the top. And um, when when stocks look attractive because they've fallen a lot. A lot of people have this this misconception that it's a good time to buy because it's cheap. Well, something that's cheap can get a lot cheaper. And an example um, I want to bring up, um, Don, if you can pull up this chart for for Cisco, it's uh, Cisco is a classic example of uh, if you go back to a uh, March of two thousand, if you type that in on the uh, time frame, and you can pull up uh, a weekly chart on that or monthly, it's fine, but. Uh, let's do the uh, weekly chart. Um, okay, so in in March of 2000, as you can see here, the stock was in a massive uptrend. It was the, the leading stock of the entire market. It had strong earnings. We posted an article actually from, from August 1st, 2000 on CNN Money where they're talking about it. Um, in August, the earnings were so good. There was no slowdown in sight. Every institution had to own this name. Well, in March of 2000, it hit a high of $80, $82 per share. And then if you now type in, um, let's put 2002, uh, October 2002. So just two years later, it went down, it fell 90%. It lost 90% of its value. And um, if you look at that and you were holding and you were buying on the way down because it was attractive, well, you would have lost 90% of, uh, of, of your money in that stock. And do you, th this is a question for the viewers because I'm sure Dan and Don already know this, but for the viewers watching, does anyone have any idea how long it took if you bought and held and kept averaging down for you to make your money back in the stock? And the answer to that is never because mm -hmm. it still hasn't hit a new all-time high. If you mm -hmm. go to the chart of today, it actually reached um, 
it reached around that that like seventy eight dollar range, um, but it's it's never gotten back to to that all time high. And for twenty years, it was just uh, it was really dead money. So if you're prepared to sit in something and hold it for twenty years for you to get back to even or, or um, even recoup some of your losses. I mean, good luck, but it's extremely difficult and not advised, and it's not something you want to do. And um, as Don always says, you you always need to have an ed, uh, exit strategy. We buy on technicals and fundamentals, but we sell on technicals. If you were just relying on fundamentals and what analysts were saying about Cisco, you you would have you would have been holding it all the way down because the the stock, there were plenty of opportunities to sell it before it, it um, the fundamentals broke down. But like, for example, here in 2000, it, it really depends what your exit strategy is, what, what moving averages you're looking at, what you want to use as your guide. Um, that, that's really up to you as, as the trader or investor. But it's, you, this is really a weekly chart going, strategy. If, if you want to use the same sell strategy that I talk about with the bear markets of when to get out and when to get back in, the first weekly close below the 200-day moving average right here would have got you out around 62 from a high of 82. Uh, that's not a nice loss, but it certainly is better than riding it from 80 down to 8, which is where it was uh, top to bottom. Let me, let me weekly close below the 200-day moving average or the 40-week uh, moving average is uh, is a rule to, to use to keep you out of trouble in all situations. So So let me give you a little personal story. This is a personal story with my own family, and I'm intimately aware of Cisco. And the reason I am is so in the 90s, I, I started in this business in the mid-90s, about 95. My sister actually lived in New York City, and she was a headhunter. She, she placed jobs for investment bankers and Wall Street hedge fund types, hedge fund guys. And she had a very good friend. I'm not going to name his name, but he, he was a hedge fund manager, and all he did was tech and biotech. And he had a network of doctors all over the country who were his clients, but also told him which drugs were working, which ones weren't. But then he had a double PhD from NASA to help with the technology, right? Wow. So he had, so my dad became a client. And when I, I it, you know, this is like in 90, 91. Sure. His, he bought Cisco and his adjusted cost basis was $2 a share, wow. split adjusted. And, and, and Michael said that Cisco made 100% a year. I mean, said it was the best performing stock in the 90s. Cisco averaged like 100% a year for a decade. It was just unbelievable, right? Yeah. When the tech wreck started happening, uh, and, and by the way, I had told my, you know, my dad, is, you know, it was too volatile. This guy was too volatile, but he didn't have, he didn't really, he, he bought on fundamentals mm -hmm. and then he held for a long time and he never really sold on technicals. So he would ride stuff down. In any event, uh, fast forward, Cisco started to break and it went down to from like eight, hit that 82 high and it went down to 75 and 70. I called my dad and I said this. And it, by the way, it also became the by far the biggest portion of his portfolio. Yeah. So it originally started out at, you know, 5% position and 4%. And it ended up literally being like 60% of his total portfolio at this guy's place. Wow. At that point, you need to be taking some a little bit off the table and book your gains. But he, it was a taxable account. He didn't want to pay the tax. 
And it was almost all capital gain. So I called my dad when it's about 70. I said, we need to sell this. We need to sell this. Yes. It's not acting right. Time to get out and, of and the the rate of change of the slope of the line was negative and downward sloping. It wasn't flattening out. I said, this is not over. You need to, oh, but what am I going to do? The taxes, uh, you know. I said, Dad, you can either pay the taxes and control your own destiny or you can lose it back to the market, your choice. No, no, let's wait, let's wait. Okay, okay. Well, fast forward a couple months, now it's at 40. Mm-hmm. And now he's kind of freaking out, going, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I said, it's not too late to sell. And now he's worried, forget about the taxes. Now he's worried that it's called regret minimization in behavioral finance. What if it goes up? What if it go- bounces after I sell? I said, you're paying, you're holding because you don't want to be wrong. You're afraid you're going to not, you're afraid. And it, was, it became kind of an ego thing. After another month, and it went down to $30 a share, he called me up and said, you were right, I should have listened to you, do whatever you, do whatever you want. So he lost half of his money wow. in that one stock because he didn't know what to do and didn't know how to sell. That was one of my first uh, introductions to, yes, you really need to rely much more on technical than not. Mm-hmm. So I'm well aware of Cisco. And by the way, there were a few other stocks. A fair mix was another one. Um, but but there, there are a few others that were also those high flyers. And the, the, the stocks that made him the most money in that portfolio were the ones that sold off the most. So think about that. 82 down to, and it went down, I think it even went down to single digit. I think it went down to like nine, didn't it? Eight, eight, twelve is where. Eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got down, we got out of thirty, but I mean, he literally gave. It was just amazing the amount of money that he could have saved mm-hmm. and had in his pocket. He's, you know, he's still okay in other assets, but still, it was very painful. You know what the good news is? The moral of the story. Yeah, he became a compliant client. He never questioned me again because I told him he was making. You know, to me, he remembers me as the fifteen-year-old kid sneaking out of the house at night with a six-pack of beer or something. You know. And so no matter what, I'm always just his, you know, dumb high school kid. You know, I had as many designations and stuff behind my name as he did his, Mm -hmm. but he sees me as his son. It's harder to do that. At that, that, that time is when I earned his respect. He said, you know what? I got to defer to you because a lot of times doctors and engineers and other people that are, have such a high uh, education in a certain niche, they're very good. Technically, they tend to think that it can flow in other things and they've got a good grasp of the other stuff and either they don't or it's uh, look, this, this takes a lot of study and a lot of monitoring when this stock is, I mean, Don's glued and Don and Michael are glued to the, uh, to the screen while the market's open. I mean, people think they can do this and think they can manage and trade around it, active investing or trading. And if you're not in front of the computer all day, you'll miss it. You're yeah. Yeah. It's, this is a tough market. Anyway, um, I'm sorry, Michael. Another thing along, uh, sorry, Dan, another thing along with behavioral finance that you talked about is a, a, a very difficult situation is when you've got a friend that might be helping you finance or uh, help you with your finances or your investments. And that friend's a genius in a bull market, but they, if they have no sell strategy and you find yourself not asking them or getting upset with them because they're your friend while you're watching your account dwindle, it's a huge uh emotionally charged event that you're dealing with there yep oh no um, absolutely and, and it's 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 actually worse than holding it yourself and because you've only got yourself to blame if you're holding on if 
Um, but I've, I've seen friendships ruined over, over situations like this. Well, and there's an old adage in, on Wall Street, uh, uh, don't, conf- don't confuse genius with a bull market. So in a bull market, everybody's a genius and, and it's easy. Right. In fact, I even see people go in and go, you know what? I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm up 8%. And I'm thinking, yeah, the S&P's up 15, 20. You're, you know, it's, <laughs> but, 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 and there'll be times that you underperform and that's okay. You just don't want to underperform when the market's getting creamed, right? Yeah. But, but, but Don's got a really good point. And, and it's not that hard to pick out the best of the best leading stock. I mean, this last run, Everybody knows that Apple is a great stock in selling stuff, and, and that's a big bellwether. Tesla is probably the best managed company right now, one of them. And so you can pick a few stocks. What they don't realize is the leading stocks in the cycle are the ones that are going to fall the most. They fall the hardest. And by the way, the next cycle, they may not be leading stock, you know, Cisco was a leading stock for two or three or four cycles, and then it was dead money. For It became a commodity. It wasn't a specialty niche product anymore. It became a, a commodity with lots of competition. Microsoft, under Balmer, became dead money for 16 years until they got Nadella, who went to the subscription-based model and wasn't trying to sell, you know, physical hard drives and, you know, the, the software and stuff. It, it just was a different business model. So... Number one, a leading stock this time doesn't mean it'll be leading next time. That's one reason you don't want to buy and hold. No. And number two, even if it does, you don't want to buy through the whole cycle because then you're back to where you started again. You're going to do much better. And I get this all the time. Well, what about taxable accounts? Isn't this bad? You may pay a little bit more in tax, but I'd much rather do that than have it ride down 20 or 30% and not have the tax problem. Mm-hmm. You know, having a little bit of a tax problem is a good thing to have. That means you made money. Okay. And if you have very large taxable gains, there are hedging strategies that we use all the time for clients that transfer in. Yeah, uh, with, large the, with the legacy positions. Yeah, and we'll 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 manage it over time. You can do a collar, you can do different, or you can short a a heavily correlated something that's very correlated to that stock. And now with these single stock ETFs like a uh, Apple, there's an inverse one and a half inverse Apple right? Or Tesla. So if you've got a big legacy position, you can hedge it pretty, pretty damn close. And then you can take bits and pieces off each year to help minimize. So it's not one big tax hit all at once. Anyway. All right, go, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. We didn't mean to steal your th- segment there. No, no, it's fine. It's uh, I added a lot of uh, value. So it's, it's good. I like it to be um, inclusive everyone. Um, yeah, it's, it's an important topic. So every, everyone's got, um, thoughts on this um and and speaking of adages another one i really like um that that's really true is um is a long-term investment is a short-term trade that went wrong and i (laughs) I see a lot of people making this mistake that that they they buy a stock because they think it's going to go up it's going to do well it goes down they end up buying more keeps going lower and they're like oh well you know what it's a long-term investment i'm going to keep it for for a while that's why you need a sell discipline and a sell strategy because most long-term investments are, are yeah, short-term trades that went wrong. Um, so for those that think, oh, Cisco's 2000.com bubble, where it's a different cycle, it's not going to happen again. That's the thing of the past. Well, we're going to bring up now examples currently of, of the same thing that goes on. It's happened for the last 150 years and it'll continue as long as there's a, a free market. And, um, while we're on the topic of uh, 
subscription models and and sort of what what uh, Microsoft did. Um, a good example now is Adobe, uh, for example, ticker ADBE. And um, if you pull up a chart of Adobe, like looking at um, at Adobe, it peaked in in November of uh, 2021. And and this week alone, it's down. Uh, it's down 25%. So this could be another Cisco type situation. If you look at the EPS, if you look at the sales, it's all it's all growing. It, it continues to do well fundamentally. But I mean, look at the chart. Is that is that something you, you want to own currently? Do you wish you had sold it a long time ago? Look at that break of the 200 day moving average back uh, last year at 550 bucks if you had sold there well now it's at 294 so that that's why you don't hold on to these these leaders once they break and and you want to get out and avoid it and if they come back and do well then you can always get back in but you'd rather um as as dan has said on on podcasts before you'd rather um be out of a stock and dying to get in than to be in a stock and and dying to get out so mm. it's um it's it's important to sell. And then um, a great example today of uh, what not to do is is ARK um, and, and Kathy Wood's strategy. Um, and if you pull up ARKK, it's it's exhibit A of, of what you shouldn't be doing um, in the market. And um, during, during uh, 2020, had an amazing run in this bull market, was buying all the leading stocks, all the best stocks. Well, after ARKK ARK uh, peaked in in March of 2021 at 160 bucks, now it's at 42 dollars. And what she's done on the way down is continuing to average down and buy more and more bigger positions in these stocks that that are failing and not doing well. And if you pull up her 10 largest holdings, you you can see just how 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 reckless of a strategy it, it's been. And um, so the the first one, um, her her largest holding is Tesla, which is the only one that's uh, that, that's still holding up and doing well. But that can go um, along with the rest of the market as well. So there, there's no, I mean, maybe one of her positions works, but if you look at the other nine, uh, the second largest one is Roku, and it, it's probably better to look at them on a weekly chart just so you can see how drastic um, the the declines are over over a longer period. Um, so Roku, it hit a high of, of 500 and now it's down at 71 and she continues to buy more and more uh, along the way down. If you look at Teladoc, TDOC, third largest holding. Boom, hit a high of 300, now it's down at 30. So it's same as Cisco, down 90% from its high. If you pull up Square, Hit a high of, of near 300, and now it's at 65. If you pull up Zoom, ZM, fifth largest position. Hit a high of, of 600, and now it's at 78. Um, if you pull up Shopify, position number six. Um, they, they, they split, but uh, up, up up to 180 and now down to 32. Um, Spotify, number seven. It, it's it's pretty sad, but it's it's literally every single one of her largest positions. Um, uh, Spotify down from 
almost 400 to to 100 um 75 of its value then you've got twilio number eight twlo down down from 450 to um to 74 now and then number nine coinbase coin It IPO'd, hit a high of over 400, now it's at 74. And then number 10 is, is Unity, U. Hit a high of over 200, and now it's at 35. And the reason why I bring these up, and you can go through each of them and see um, online her 10 largest holdings. These, are, these were all market-leading stocks in the last cycle. Um, they peaked before the market did. And they're all real companies that have, um, most of them have earnings. Most of them are growing very rapidly, but it, it, it's not, it's not about the, uh, the fundamentals in this case. It's more about how mispriced they were in the market. And that's something that you need to be aware of. And if, uh, any of these growth stories that, that, um, because they're, they're valued so richly and, um, sometimes multiples get out of whack, um, even if the sales are growing, even if the earnings are growing, if they're not growing as much, another one is Netflix, which was Netflix has been a leader for a long time. Kathy Wood doesn't have, it's not one of her 10 largest holdings, but it's another great example of uh, it's a real company, great company, growing, international expansion. I mean, it, they, they lost 70% of their value too. Um, you've got Meta. There, there's so many leaders that that once they break down, they, they lose um 70% of their value and it's just staggering losses. So meta now down 14% this week. If you thought it was cheap last week, well, you just lost another 15%. So these, you never want to call a bottom. You don't know how low they can drop. They can continue dropping for a long time. And it, as, as I'll keep repeating and saying, um, it's, it's just, you need to know when to sell. You need to have a sell discipline, you need to get out and, um, Put your ego aside and some of the best companies can can break down just like the rest of them uh, paypal is another one I, I can go on for days but it's just yeah. it's mo the majority of the leaders um in in this past cycle now are are just um completely destroyed and it could take like cisco did it could take another 20 years google i, I mean I'll, I'll stop now but it, it just all of these major companies great companies some of the best stocks um are Google's now breaking down from this level of support and it can, it can go down, who knows, another 20, 30, 50%. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, that, so this, <laughs> so this is more about, and so another thing that Michael highlighted is this is more about overall market risk, not company specific. I mean, there is some company specific risk, like Facebook had a few negative things this week. And some of these other companies had some specific things like FedEx, right? But but a lot of these, they're doing well and their companies are fine fundamentally. It's just the overall market and fear and global macro story is changing. And so when you hear that, when they say multiple PE contraction, like, oh, we're, or blue sky, there's a lot of blue sky, meaning it's it's bullish. People are liking the expanding PEs that, and they'll pay up. That's fine. But you got to have a sell discipline because when you get that price compression or 
PE contraction. Whenever you hear some CNBC contributor saying, oh, well, it's just normal PE contraction, what that means is the, it's selling off hard. It's getting slaughtered. He just doesn't want to say that. So the question I have for you is, are you, here's another thing, Michael, when you were talking about these behavioral finance, these different things, are you paying to be right? In other words, if a stock goes down and breaks and now you have a loss, I hear it all the time. People go, oh, well, yeah, no, I've got a loss on that. I'll, I'll sell it when I get back even. And I'm going, what? What do you mean? Well, I, and, and that's really, when you look at it, it sounds good on the surface, but there's no basis for that. There's no factual, mathematical reason for that. You just don't want to admit you're wrong. Because when you, it, when you sell it, then it makes it realized. You want to admit you're wrong. Oh, one of these articles, one of these advisors, this advisor said that. It's not, it's not a loss until you sell it. What? what? Man, it's a loss as soon as that stock went down. That's a good what are you talking about? What do you mean it's not a loss? It's an unrealized loss. It's still a loss, right? Like house values in Dallas have gone down a little bit. So I can get less for my house if I sell it now. Well, you haven't sold it, so you haven't lost some money. Well, maybe, but I, I can't sell it for that other price. Um, you know the only difference between a, a realized loss and an unrealized loss? A realized loss is when your wife finds out about it. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's just a I, – I just I can't stand that. So anyway, the whole point is, look, losses are part of it. Losses are part of the, of the investment game. You've got to accept that going into it. Here's the secret, folks. You keep your losses small, okay? They've done interviews with some of the best hedge fund and money managers in the world, some of the best bond traders, commodities, currency, stock traders. Every one of them, even though they may have a different discipline, a slightly different methodology, the underlying theme with every one of them, the best of the best in each category, they all say this, I kept my losses small. I, so you can read about all these little metrics, say, well, I use a 21 exponential or I use this, I, you know, I use volume weighted, you know, all this technical stuff on how they look at buying stuff. But every one of them kept their losses small. That's how they, so they could live to fight another day. Because there are going to be times when everything lines up. So just as bad as the market is now, there's going to be another time hopefully pretty soon, but it may be two years, two weeks, two months, or two years when everything's rosy and the market's going up and it's easy, right? right? And that's when you're going to be bragging at cocktail parties about how much money you're making. You know what? That's when I get a little nervous. That's when I'm going, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? I, I, I've got to make sure I've got a, a sell rules in place. You always want to have your sell rules, right? But you also can't get paralyzed by fear and not take action. So I started this whole show with the comment, did you get defensive? Have you gotten defensive? If not, why not? And by the way, it may not be too late. Now, it's a much later in the game, so the probabilities of you being wrong are probably a little bit higher than if you'd done it two weeks ago when you had a 5% loss, not a, not a 15 or 20, right? I'm talking about overall broad portfolio, not some of these individual stocks. Some of these individual stocks, you may have lost 30% in the last two weeks. Okay? Do not fall in love with the story. Do not fall in love with the stock. The stock is just a bargaining chip. And Tim used to always say, stocks hate you. 
Okay, just remember that. They hate you, and, and, and the only time I like stocks is if they're going up. If they're going down, I don't like them, period. Simple as that. I, now, I do, when I'm buying a stock, I do want the N and can slim. I want the new. I want the innovation. I want the story because those stocks grow more. But those same stocks sell off more in a bear market. Mm-hmm. Okay? We are in a bear market. Don't make any mistake about that. Okay? Now, the question is, what are you going to do about it? All right. Enough said. I beat that to death. Don, why don't you take it? He's probably going to do the same thing with charts. Not, but... not, an, not enough said, though. Not enough said yet, Dan. One more lesson. Piggybacking onto Michael. Uh, one of the stocks that he brought up was Coinbase. And when this came public in April of 2021, we had uh, a handful of clients call us. This was a very hot IPO. They called us and they said, you guys are going to buy Coinbase at the IPO, right? You want to make sure that you buy it. And we're like, no, we we have a, a plan on how we buy uh, things. Too. There's something that has to form that's called an IPO base. Uh, and really what that ha- what happens is it, it, we wait for it to stop going down, start going back up, form a proper base before we can get in. And they said, uh, well, you, you need to buy this some of this for my account anyway. Okay, we'll, we'll buy it for your account if you insist. Where's your stop? Silence. Well, it's going to go up. We, what, what do you mean? Where's our stop? So we did a couple of ones off with this. We ended up calling uh, the clients back saying, yeah, we, this, this isn't working out. This isn't doing what you need to. You need to get out of this. And uh, luckily they did. They did sell. Coinbase they hit their pain, fr- they hit their pain threshold. They, they hit, hit their, their pain, pain threshold. threshold. They said, okay, uncle, you were right. Coinbase never formed this IPO base following our rules. We would have never owned this after the initial, um, after the initial IPO day, where it hasn't made a higher high since that IPO day in April of 2021. Now, what's a proper uh, IPO base? What's one that? Um, what did it look like if we wanted to do it? Let's go back to Google, which came public in 2015. So let me back this up to 2017. Uh, here's a daily chart of Google. Better with this, don't I? Uh, actually, in Google came straight radio, isn't it, Dan? This is drinking out of the fire hose. Fr- friendly reminder. Okay. You want to learn. Not 2013. 2004. It was back by 04, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I typed the wrong year. Okay. So here's Google forming. An IPO base. Facebook did the same thing with that deep bowl. Right. Yeah. It goes up and it forms this little base and it makes a higher high after it forms this little this little cup area. So here's the daily chart that shows it there you really go. well. There you go. So it goes up higher the third day, it peaks comes down, it forms this little cup, and then finally it breaks out. It came came public in August of 2004. 
broke out in September of 2004 after forming this really nice little IPO base, went on a nice run, and then had a huge gap up uh, on an earnings report, and you know, made a lot of money in Google. Um, the key was, that, and the, the difference was, Google never made a lower low relative, relative to its IPO day. Coinbase never made a higher high relative to its IPO day. So you really never know how the market is going to respond to these quote-unquote hot stocks. Google was absolutely the hottest IPO that could come out in 2004. It did what it was supposed to do. The market was a lot different at this point when it came live than it was in 2021 when Coinbase came live. Uh, Bitcoin has really done nothing but uh, go down since it peaked uh, at over 70,000. Um, you just have to rely on these technical patterns and the, and the reactions of the stock, uh, not what you think something's going to do or what you hope something's going to do. And as Michael said, Google, when it broke its 200-day moving average back in April, uh, that was the time to get out also. Uh, it's, it's, it's just it, the same patterns play out over and over again. Uh, you have to see how these things actually end up reacting. Uh, not and Don, not what not what you hope they're going to do. Um, Don, Don, real quick, while while we're talking about uh, Coinbase, can you can you bring up uh, Coin Coin again on the uh, weekly chart, um, so that we can see the um, the earnings and um, the, the fundamentals? Are we able to move uh, my image out of the bottom corner, Zach? Gotcha. Perfect. So if you if you see here, right, the the EPS and sales were all like amazing numbers. You've got triple digit growth, but something that you need to be really careful about too. And um, it's not just as simple as looking at the EPS or sales. You, you if you really want to invest in a company, you need to understand it and go through the um, the SEC filings and learn a little bit about financial accounting or have someone who knows about it explain it to you. But a lot of what was going on in 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 Coinbase and a lot of companies as well is is um basically in a way legal fraud and um with with gap accounting what these companies are able to do is in it, it affects their eps because what they do is in their operating income they're able to add back all of their stock-based compensation and if you look at how much stock-based compensation these <laughs> companies were issuing they were adding it back and that was boosting their eps tremendously but that's still an expense that that the company's incurring. It's not a cash expense, so it gets added back as a non-cash expense. But it's still a real expense, and it it totally inflates these these um, EPS numbers. And that's something you need to be really careful of because it's not just Coinbase. It's it's the majority. You had DraftKings. There there's so many companies that were issuing tremendous amounts of stock-based compensation and and getting away with that um like borderline legal fraud. So. You just need to be really careful with that. And, and it's not so simple as, uh, yeah, you, you need to understand a bit if you want to be a successful investor. It's a lot of people have this, this fallacy that it's, oh, it's like, whatever, it's a good company. I like it. Like, I can do it too. Like, I can be a good investor. It's, it's a very complicated and difficult thing to, uh, to understand and, and get good at. Well, by, by the way, with these IPOs, folks, think about it. These private investors, these billionaires and people worth hundreds of millions of dollars have, 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 have taken this company. They're trying to get ready and they know intimately the numbers, right? They know what's going on Yeah. and they're trying to sell it to you. In other words, if it's such a good deal, why aren't they keeping it? Why are they selling it? Now I realize they want to, 
have a liquidity event and maybe cash out some and make some money. But if it's a really, really, really great deal, you know, there's lopsided information that, that you may, may or not may or may not understand. They're supposed to disclose all that, but you really got to wade through it, just like Michael said. But only a few hot. So if it's not an oversubscribed IPO, meaning a hot IPO, you don't want it anyway. It's just going to go down. But what they do is the investment banks that are the underwriters, there's a couple, three underwriters for each IPO. You know, sometimes it's Goldman Sachs and Fidelity and somebody else. The next time it'll be Schwab, Morgan Stanley and whatever, right? And their job is to kind of support that stock for the first couple of days. to Kind of keep that where the IPO price was pegged. After that, man, they wash their hands of it. And that's why you get a, a big drop. But what Don was talking about, that IPO base, the good pattern you want to see is normally it'll, 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 it'll go public and for a couple of days, and then it'll actually form a cup, a big, like Facebook was a big multi-month bowl, a deep bowl. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes up on the right side of the bowl or the cup, that's where the low risk entry is. That's where, now Google, Google, Don's right, Google was one of the exceptions that really did it very quickly and kind of took off. That was a very, very strong IPO. But, and I don't know the exact numbers, whether it's 95% or 98, whatever it is, it's a very, very high number. Most IPOs do not make money for a long time. They do, it's, they're very risky. So unless you know how to handle them, you probably should take a, take, stay away from them because they're being sold by institutional Wall Street investment banking firms and billionaires, and they're being sold to you, the retail investor, and you think you're going to beat them. Just, just food for thought. All right, I've said my piece, Don. Keep going. Yeah, let's let's do uh, the current market right now. So what I'm showing is a current chart of the S and P 500. And if you've been watching our videos, you know for a while that um, I, I show this every night in the videos. I show what a healthy market is. I show how I and I discuss how we use three time frames. The short-term 21-day moving average, that's the green line. The medium-term 50-day moving average, that's the red line. And the long-term 200-day moving average, that's the black line. The market is trending higher above all those moving averages. We're going to be as fully invested as we are comfortable being. If it stops going higher and starts to roll over, the market itself will take us out because the stops and everything that we own uh, will get hit. There won't be good entry points for other things to come into. And that's just indicating that the market is in a consolidation phase. Sometimes it consolidates and goes higher. Sometimes it fakes, goes higher, and then really starts to roll over. And that's what happened in January of this year. If it really breaks lower and gets below the 200-day moving average, that's that big black line, uh, that is when you need to be concerned about, are we going to enter bear market territory? On average, when you break the 200-day moving average, you're 12% down off the high. But this is when risk picks up. When you're under the 200-day moving average, this is when you have to be really concerned about whether or not you're going to hit a severe bear, especially if you're approaching retirement, because you just don't have time to recover from it. So what we did is roll over, got below the 200-day moving average a couple times, and then in April of this year, this is when things started to get uh, extremely bad. This was the second leg down that started, and it started on a bad CPI report. We went down hard. We went up uh, higher. We uh, had another bad CPI report, went lower. 
And then the market just stopped going down and we had a nice bear market rally. And to get into these bear market rallies, we just use our short-term indicators. Uh, when we start getting above there, specifically the green line, the 21-day moving average, will start going in and ride the market higher. And we had a very nice rally up to this point where it paused. And where did it pause? At the declining 200-day moving average. So the market was not ready to go. We started selling off hard again, had one last bounce, and then uh, the, another CPI report came out this Tuesday before the market opened, and the market ended up being down over 5%, high to low, pre-market high to the low of that day. That's when we went back to correction. Uh, we don't play around when we're under the 200-day moving average, and then especially when we get back under the other two short-term and medium-term moving averages. We started selling all of our positions, and we ended up going net short at this point. And now today, uh, we broke this very key area, 3,900. We've been talking about it in the videos. We tried to undercut it uh, on 9.6 and we went higher. Now we undercut it and we're below it. Uh, we're at 38.44 right now as of uh, almost two o'clock on Friday afternoon. So where are we going from here? We don't know. What we do know is that we're below the 200, we're below the 50, we're below the 21. So we're below all three of our time frames that we track. And when we're below there, we don't want to be in the market. Right now, we're net short. Yesterday, the market was down. Our accounts were green. Today, the market's down again. Our accounts are green also because we're in an instrument that goes higher when the market goes lower. And ironically, it's the instrument that we're in right now is shorting Kathy Wood's ARK fund. There is S-A-R-K. So it goes up while Kathy Wood's fund, A-R-K-K, goes down. I talked about the technical levels and why we entered this in Thursday night's videos, uh, if you're interested. So right now, one thing we know is that we're in cash, actually net short because we're in SARK, uh, and we don't know how low this is going to go, but this looks like it's setting up for the third leg down in a bear market. And oftentimes, we're, I'm going to start a study next week of the last 13 bear markets to see what takeaways we can, uh, or what specific rules and uh, how they act. So there, there are very strong uh, rallies during these bear markets, and we want to participate in them to the extent that we can. Sometimes the rally is the end. The, the bottom is in and we go higher, and that's great, and we're going to ride that higher. Sometimes it's like this. You stop at a very key area, in this case, the 200-day moving average. All of our stops started getting hit as we started coming down. We dipped a couple toes in. Late last week, when we got back above these moving averages, it failed immediately. We sold our stuff, uh, and now we're making money as the market's going lower. Uh, the low of this of this bear market is thirty six thirty six. That was a twenty four and a half percent move down from the high. And if we break that right now, we're in the nineteens. If we get to with the market, 13, the markets are in the nineteens. Yes, the market is at the nineteens, not us. We're down less than seven percent for the year. Uh, if the market gets to thirty-eight thirteen, that's revisiting the bear level. You're back to twenty percent down from the high again. Then the next level down there is thirty-six thirty-six, and if we go below there, uh, first example that I was looking for was the bear market in nineteen sixty-eight to uh, nineteen seventy. The third leg down was the worst of the three legs. I'm not predicting or saying that that's happened, but I'm putting it on the table that that's what could happen. Why could it happen? Because we're under the 200-day moving average. Uh, and from a macro perspective, we've got 
trillions of dollars of, of government debt that we have no hope to ever pay back. And we've got inflation that's not that we can't control right now. So the we just had FedEx yesterday cut their earnings in half and pull their guidance for the rest of the year, saying we're going into a global recession. A global recession is not a soft landing. That's what the Fed's trying to uh, drum up is a soft landing. But right now, the latest inflation report says they what they're doing is not getting inflation under control. So that means they're going to have to keep raising interest rates. Raising interest rates are bad for stocks. They're bad for business. They're obviously bad for Federal Express. They came out and said it yesterday. Their earnings were going to be so bad that they pre-announced them a week ahead of time to get ahead of it. So uh, we know where we are, as I said, below the three key time frames. Um, we talk about these time frames in every video. We also talk about leading stocks. We don't own anything right now. We don't know how low it's going to go, but we've got our rules for getting back in. And we've got our rules for uh, booking these profits. We booked half of it today on the breakdown on this SARK. We'll let the rest of it ride until it either gets too extended to the downside or it comes up and breaks uh, a key area, like getting back above 3,900 would be a reason to get back out of it. Uh, but for now, uh, our accounts are slightly green on the day while the markets are firmly red. Uh, and this is how we do things, uh, folks. And um, People that are our clients that are approaching retirement can sleep well at night knowing that their capital was protected. And um, I, I get in Twitter arguments all the time with people that think that you need to just stay the course, stay in, the market always comes back. But the sequence of returns can really bite you when you're approaching retirement. This is why you see senior citizens bagging garbage or bagging groceries at the grocery store. It's not because they want to, it's because they need the benefits and they need the extra income that they thought they were going to have. Uh, before their nest egg blew up because their advisor didn't protect them. So if you know somebody that's worried, have them give us a call. We'll talk through our process. It's a common sense approach. What other aspect of your life, when it starts going south, do you not take corrective action to make things right? We don't think that your finances should be any different from that if you know the signals to follow. We lay them out very clearly in our videos every night and in our podcasts. And one of these risky areas is what we're in, what we've been living in all throughout 2022, and we've taken the appropriate action. We're not up on the year, but we're down a whole hell of a lot more. And less, uh, less. our clients are we're up, we're up a whole hell of a lot less. Yes, um, we're down seven percent. The market's down almost twenty percent right now. Let's put it in numerical terms. So, um, give us a shout if you're interested in this. Uh, I've laid out where we are. Uh, where we're going next, the market is going to dictate, but right now we're at our maximum defensive caution. Uh, so one thing I want to point out, don't move that chart, Don. So folks, if you look at that chart, the 21 exponential moving average, the green line, can you highlight that with your uh, mount, your cursor? That green line right there, look at the slope and look how that's pointing down. The red line is a 50-day. And that's kind of going sideways, kind of slightly positive incline, but starting to hook downward. But that 21, which is shorter term, is, is hooking downward decisively. That's point, the slope of that line is turning down. That means, in plain English, the short-term momentum is down, is downward. It's negative. So it doesn't mean it's too late. You should not be fully invested at this time, the market is too risky, in our opinion, to be, I mean, we're, we don't have any uh, 
exposure right now, uh, long stock. It's just very dangerous. It's just a very dangerous market to be in. Um, anyway, and by the way, it's the, so when that 21 starts flattening out, it starts to flatten and, and even especially starts to hook up, then I'm going to be more uh, positive, not positive, I mean more optimistic about the prospects in the short term. But until that hooks up, I'm, I'm, I'm very defensive. I want to see, I want to see. And by the way, when it does happen, it'll happen pretty quickly. And that's why Don always has a watch list. He's always, you know, both these guys are always putting up a watch list. So you're ready to get the next leaders the next time around. And the uglier the market, the more in a good market, you're going to have way more than 21. Don does it Friday night, 21 over 21, the 21 leading stocks over the 21 exponential moving average, best 21 stocks. In a really good market, you'll have 50, 60, 80 stocks on your watch list, and you actually may have to tighten your parameters to cull down that list to make them smaller. As the market sells off, they'll start to drop off as they break down, and you'll have fewer and fewer. When you're really in a bear market, you'll only have a few, and sometimes if it gets ugly enough, you may not have any. Don, how many stocks? Or, or do you have on a, how many are still intact and healthy right now? There's about 15. 15. Okay. And as the market gets uglier, if it does, it may not, we're not predicting, but if it gets uglier, half of those 15 or two thirds of those 15 are going to drop off and it could happen very quickly. And once the, the, the leading stocks holding up the market, because remember, you know, Tesla is a big mega cap stock. It, it helps the indices. Okay. When a couple of these last stocks break down, you'll actually have this big whoosh. That's what Don's talking about on the third leg down. It can accelerate and you can easily lose 15, 20, 25% from here. People, that's what happened in 2008. If you look at 2008, it looks like a double waterfall. You had this big sell-off. All of a sudden you have this real strong rally for a couple of weeks and then it rolls right back over and it just goes down another you know, 30% or so. So don't, don't just see it. Is that it right there? That's 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So you see that big first sell off and then, yeah, show the curse of that first and it hits that bottom right there. And then you have this nice rally. It doesn't, I mean, on the chart, it doesn't look that nice, but that's actually a 15, 20% rat. And then it rolls right back over and hits a new low before it establishes a bottom. So folks, you need to have rules both in and out. And take the emotion out of it. All right, folks. Well, you guys have anything more? I'm, I think we've uh, covered this pretty well. Yeah. I, I guess. That's I it. guess I have. Okay. Can I mention one 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 last thing? Um, sure. Uh, on the on the S and P, if we go to today's, um, if you just go to the daily chart, um, we say a lot about about risk that that it, like in our opinion, it, it's it's riskier when you're below these moving averages. But it, you can you can see a visual representation of the increase in risk by the uh, by the size and the um, the angle and the degree at which the the declines move versus the the inclines. And another way to look at that is um, if you pay attention to the the VIX, which is the volatility index, when the market's in a downtrend and below these moving averages, that's when volatility picks up because the 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 risk premium for equities increases and because of that increase in risk, valuations and, and stock values are, are much more susceptible to steep declines because 
if there's someone on the other side making a bid for for the, those stocks, you've got to have a willing buyer for every seller, and no one's going to be willing to buy it unless they're getting a higher um, a higher premium for for the risk they're willing to take because of that increase in risk. So you can see it visually. Stocks usually move like they they, they say they take the escalator up and then the elevator down, and and the the moves to the downside are so much more volatile and, and steeper and, and faster because of that, that risk. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's very obvious. And folks, we've got an interesting time period coming up because like they talked about the pensions. So some of these pensions are underwater and they're, they're obligated to pay these pensions. So you could start hearing another round of big bailouts. You, you know, somebody's going to have to rescue them. Somehow the Congress will be talking about bailouts and the Fed's going to try to figure out some way under the auspices of, they don't want to say they're bailing out public pensions, government pensions, so they'll have it it's construed as something else. But if you start doing bailouts, how does that cure inflation? If you print more, they're going to have a tough, the Fed is right now at really a tough uh, decision. They either got to let inflation keep going, or they've got to cause a deep recession. And they've always been late to the party, and they've always mistimed it. In my in my opinion, so this is why you if you never this is why it's so important to really be paying attention right now. These markets are very tenuous and very dangerous, folks. Listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Uh, just send them to revereasset.com. In the top right corner of the of the website, there's a subscribe button. They can just hit subscribe. They can put in their name and email address, and they, they will get our daily market insight, uh, a short 10, 15-minute video. We do every night the market's open, and we show you the midterm, short-term, long-term um, um, strength or weakness, and we go over the individual positions and what we're actually doing. I think we're the most transparent. I'm We're the most transparent advisor in the country that I'm aware of. There may be one or two that's more transparent, but I haven't found them yet. Um, but anyway, and we are fiduciary. We only represent you. We don't work on commissions. Um, we're fee-based. And uh, you can reach any of us at Don at revereasset.com, Dan at revereasset.com, or Michael at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a safe and happy weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep.
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.